uh, people tend to ignore the undecideds, and, and they're actually really crucial. Um, that's one of the big numbers I really pay a lot of attention to, because they often decide the outcome of elections. Hello again, and welcome to Perspectives with Nilo, a regular podcast that brings you news and views from around the world. We recently celebrated our one-year anniversary, so be sure to check out our previous episodes on our blog site at pwnilo.com or by searching for Perspectives with Nilo on your favorite podcast app. Taiwan's 2024 presidential election is likely to have profound implications for Taiwan itself and the entire world. It's a race between the China-skeptic Democratic Progressive Party versus the China-friendly opposition parties of the Kuomintang, or KMT, and the Taiwan's People's Party. The election outcome will likely set the frame of reference for how authoritarian China, who claims Taiwan as their sovereign territory, will advance their expansionist agenda in the future. As the world's 16th largest trading economy and supplier of 90% of advanced semiconductors, a blockade on Taiwan by the Chinese Communist Party would have significant impact on global trade, never mind the effects of a potential conflict in the region. In this, the first episode of our series on Taiwan's 2024 election, I'm delighted to welcome back Courtney Donovan-Smith. He's a regular contributing columnist for Taiwan News, as well as the Central Taiwan correspondent for ICRT-FM Radio and a political analyst at the Taiwan Report. We first spoke to Donovan back in March about a number of topics, including the upcoming election, in our episode entitled Visits and Vanishing Acts. I sat down with Donovan in early November in Taichung in advance of the November 24th election registration deadline to review the leading candidate lineup and hear his insights on their policies and polling performance. Donovan, you're very welcome back to Perspectives with Nilo. It's great to chat with you again. Oh, it's great to be back. Uh, l- let me start by asking you, uh, maybe back in March when we last spoke, uh, William Lai was the confirmed DPP, uh, our Green candidate for the Taiwan presidential election, the upcoming election. Uh, Ko Wen-je was the, the TPP candidate. We weren't yet sure at that point who the KMT candidate would be. Uh, can you let us know who, what's been happening for the KMT and how is their campaign going uh, for the presidential election? Yeah, back in March, it was quite interesting because at the time, the KMT had two prospective candidates. Now, normally the way it works in the KMT is in most previous uh, elections, what they would do is they would hold a uh, opinion poll primary where they would have a series of opinion polls commissioned and then they would choose the most popular candidates. Sometimes they had other, other formats which included party membership voting and all that kind of thing. But... Most recently, the the way they did it was by using opinion polling. Now, this time, uh, Eric Ju, the the KMT chair, decided to forgo all of that, which was quite controversial. And it was down between two candidates, Terry Goh, the founder of Foxconn, the uh, contract uh, electronics manufacturer, uh, and uh, Ho Yui, the mayor of New Taipei City. And the... In the end, Eric Ju chose uh, Ho Yui, the new Taipei uh, city mayor. Now, he's a very interesting choice. Um, up until the, up until about December of last year, roughly, he was the most popular politician in the country. But as he came under increasing scrutiny as a potential presidential candidate, his his polling level dropped. 
There was also some scandals uh, involving a child who died uh, after uh, the, the the medical services took a long time to arrive. Uh, and there were some questions about this. Uh, you know, as new Taipei mayor, he was held responsible for this, and he backed uh, his his rescue and fire departments and over the parents. Now, whether or not the child would have been saved or not, and this is a, a COVID-related uh, death last year, um, there were some other also similar. Uh, there's a few other issues, but of course, as a mayor of a of the most populous city, these things are going to happen. So. How much he was personally responsible for this is, is debatable, but it did take a toll on his personal popularity. Um, but now, uh, Hoyoi is the KMT candidate. Now, Terry Goh, the Foxconn founder, he, he came out and was quite upset about this. Now, he had originally said that he would accept whatever the party chose, but he apparently thought that he was a, lo- he was a shoe-in for this. And now he's running as an independent candidate. Uh, and so this has quite upset the KMT, of course. So he he's out there as an independent candidate. It's become a four-way race, as you mentioned. Uh, uh, William William Lai. He's not really using William so much anymore, but or Lai Qingde, the current vice president representing the DPP, and Ke Wenzhe, the former Taipei mayor, running for the uh, only four-year-old Taiwan People's Party. So it's an interesting four-way race. Okay, well, uh, hopefully we can uh, dive into those can- the other candidates a little bit more in a few minutes. But first, I wanted to ask you, just for listeners who mightn't be uh, completely aware of, of the KMT and the background, what kind of demographic are they targeting, or who are who is the typical voter, uh, who is the typical KMT voter? Okay, the KMT has a very interesting history. Uh, they were they came out of secret societies who wanted to restore. Originally, their their slogan uh, of these revolutionaries was uh, over overthrow the Qing, meaning the Manchurian foreign Qing dynasty, and restore the Ming, which was an ethnic Han dynasty in China. So they were founded in China out of these secret revolutionary societies, and they eventually toppled the Manchurian uh, d- dynasty in you know the Qing the last Qing emperor, and founded the Republic of China. Um, and, of course, they lost the Civil War uh, in China to, uh, who are those people? Gosh, what are they called? Oh, right, the Chinese Communist Party. Um, and uh, they, uh, at the end of World War II, the Republic of China, the which was a, effectively a one-party state, they had some nominal other parties like the Chinese Communist Party today. There are other political parties, believe it or not, in China. They exist, but they are all subservient to the Communist Party. The Kuomintang, uh, the KMT, also had a similar setup. Um, now, after World War II, they they were, like Germany, um, was the Japanese Empire was partitioned amongst the Allied forces. And the Taiwan portion of the Japanese Empire was administered on behalf of the Allies by the Republic of China. Um, Then, of course, the main islands were primarily the U.S., but the British and Australians and the Russians took over some northern islands. Um, And the Republic of China, of course, lost, and the Kuomintang-led government lost in, uh, in China, and decamped to 
Taiwan, which was legally then part of the Japanese Empire. And then the, um, they had nowhere else to go, and so they basically stayed there. Um, there's some legal dispute about, you know, in 1951, the Treaty of San Francisco was signed and came into effect, and the Treaty of Taipei, they came into effect in 1952, where J the Japanese Empire forfeited any, uh, they, they said that, you know, Taiwan no, was no longer their territory, but they didn't declare to whom they gave the sovereignty to. So there is some, and so for example, the United States, the UK, and other countries, uh, their official position is that Taiwan's sovereignty is undetermined. Mm -hmm. There are two main, uh, I guess there's three, three main groups with, that today follow the KMT. There are the 49ers, who are the descendants of uh, the refugees from the Chinese Civil War. Um, a lot of them still follow the KMT. Uh, for historical reasons. There are the local factions, which are generally locally Taiwanese-led. They're patronage factions that were um, patronized by the KMT under the, uh, under the KMT when they arrived, when it was still a one-party state. Uh, they did have democratic elections on the local level, but it was generally between competing factions within the KMT, primarily. Um, and a lot of these people, there's still a lot of loyalty to them in particularly countryside areas, rural areas, um, inside the country. And then there are the those who have familiar, you know, family ties, business ties with China. Um, and then there's just a lot of people who uh, they believe that Taiwan is still has a connection to China or they and then there's also a lot of people, for example, the Hakka uh, minority here, uh, the indigenous people, they have generally supported the KMT because historically they were kind of oppressed by the majority Haklo or Taiwanese speaking people. So they've generally also aligned with the KMT. Um, so the, the kind of voters that follow the KMT are kind of eclectic uh, in a lot of ways. They generally are a little bit more pro-business, but honestly, there's not very much difference between the DPP and the KMT on on economic policy. They're quite quite similar, actually. Um, but so there's there's a, there's also also civil servants have generally been uh, historically, and government employees have generally been very pro-KMT. And uh, Ho Yui, uh, the current KMT candidate, has he talked about any uh, particular policies he's driving himself as part of his campaign uh, for this uh, presidential election? Okay, on domestic issues, um, there's not a lot of difference between uh, the two major parties, and not even, again, with the TPP, the new, the new party that's on the scene. Generally speaking, they're... I guess in Europe you'd consider them center-right. Um, their policies, there's a, you know, solve issues like housing inequality, um, uh, the, birth, the declining birth rate. Their, their policies are really quite similar. It's a series of policy changes, subsidies for this, subsidies for that. Um, there's not a lot of difference ideologically. Uh, between the parties. Domestically, the big difference is 
that the TPP and the KMT uh, support extending the lifespan of nuclear power plants, uh, whereas the DPP wants to keep the original phase-out schedule, which is uh, in 2025, that all the nuclear power plants will be gone. Now, the case that the DPP makes is that Taiwan is a seismically active country. These are old power plants, and they've reached their limit. There's the, 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 all the places to store nuclear power uh, waste, nuclear waste, are full, and they have no legal provisions to add any new places, um, and that the country should move toward nat natural gas in the short term and renewables in the long term and gradually phase out coal. The TPP and the, and the KMT want to keep the nuclear power plants running, uh, partly on national security grounds, because, for example, there's only about 11 days reserve for natural gas. Again, coal has a relatively limited amount. If there was, for example, a war, the power would go out in a few weeks. I mean, you know, uh, whereas nuclear power, they could keep the lights on for a long, long time, assuming they're not bombed by uh, invading forces. Um, now, they, they are also, so they, they want to keep the nuclear power going. Uh, they're very concerned about the reserve requirements because Taiwan is a heavy, heavy power user. For example, the chip making um, company TSMC alone accounts for over 7% of all of Taiwan's power. And it's expected in the next few years to rise to about 12, 12.5% of all of Taiwan's power needs. And that's just one company. Um, so they're very concerned about that domestically. Uh, so you mentioned there uh, TPP, who are, I guess, also known as the, the light blue party. They're on the same, politically leaning the same way as the KMT. Their leader is uh, Taipei Mayor, former Taipei Mayor, uh, Ko Wenjie. Um, how is he doing in this uh, presidential election run-up? Well, most polls have him at second, uh, but there's a, a significant minority that have him at third. Uh, now, I've been compiling a poll of polls, and recently the number of polls has, has been lower than it was the last two months, which is kind of interesting. Um, and in the poll of polls, because it's a weighted one, Actually, Hoyui has pulled ahead of Ke Wenzhe because of the, uh, the polls that are weighted a little bit higher that have conducted polls in the last few weeks have tended to show Ho higher and Ke lower historically. Um, but the, the majority of polls show Ke in second place, so he's doing fairly well. There was a little bit of a faux pas as regards the name. Uh, we talk about them now as the light blue party, but it, earlier, a few months ago, they they labeled themselves as the white party. Am I correct in, in thinking that? And it caused a bit of a, I guess it was a little bit of a faux pas. It caused a little bit of a bounce back. <laughs> well, okay, they've been, okay, so there's the pan green, which is parties that, uh, that have an ideology that leans more toward Taiwan sovereignty, Taiwan identity, and it's based on the color of the DPP flag, which is green and white. And then there's the Pan Blues, which are more, believe in a one China, uh, at least in the long term, and they're based on the colors of the flag of the, K of the KMT, which is blue and white. 
Now, the TPP has branded itself as uh, a the white party, meaning not blue and not green. And in Chinese, this is, has connotations of purity, cleanliness. Um, but then they came out with uh, a slogan, which was, I believe it was, you know, uh, you know, vote white, you know, it was white power or something like this. Um, which obviously in English has very different connotations than it did in Chinese. Uh, they were not intending to have, uh, they were not intending to have that connotation. Um, but they translated it into English, and yeah, that did not sound good in English. <laughs> and uh, as regards the demographic for the TPP, um, a lot of the, the media analysis are kind of saying it's mostly a younger demographic that are supporting them. Uh, can you tell us more about that? Is that right? Yeah, that's absolutely correct. Um, the KMT is a very old demographic. And increasingly, and this is interesting because in the 2020 election, the DPP had a very young uh, support base, but they've lost them in the last few years. They've generally shifted to the TPP. Uh, the TPP is very strong in the under 30 demographic, quite strong in the under 40 demographic. They're doing okay in the 40 to 49 range, and then it drops off a cliff after 50. By the time you get into the 60s and 70s, their support is in the single digits. And that's surprising to me from an outsider perspective, insofar as, um, you know, if, if they're blue-leaning or light blue, um, it's surprising to me that uh, young people would be uh, as supportive of unification with China, which is, you know, the, the, the light blue leaning would seem to indicate. So uh, what, what is the what is the kind of how, how should we read that? I mean, uh, is there a sizable proportion of young people in Taiwan who favor the, the reunification or reengagement with China? Almost none. Um, the TPP position isn't a one China position. That's what makes them different than the KMT. Um, the, the position of the TPP is they kind of are trying to avoid the, the whole issue, um, and they, they claim that they want to rise above it. Now, Ko Wenzhe, who's, who's the party chair and basically kind of the spiritual leader of the party, has been a bit wishy-washy on where he stands on a lot of this. He does not accept the 1992 consensus, which has the one China principle baked into it, which the KMT does. But he's not so much against it as he says that the public in Taiwan won't buy it. He says, specifically, he said there's no market for it. So what he wants to do is, now China, of course, has said that there will be no negotiation with Taiwan unless there is an accept, they accept the 1992 consensus. The TPP wants to talk to China, wants to have dialogue with them, but they know that accepting the 1992 consensus is electoral suicide. So they're hoping to come up with a new formulation. Now, they are not pro-unification, but they're not pro what's called Taiwan independence either. Um, the TPP is strong on national defense. They want to push uh, defense spending up to 3% of GDP. Um, so they're not 
they're not as strong on sovereignty issues as the DPP is, and they want dialogue with China like the KMT does, but they're not they don't accept the 1992 consensus so they kind of are in this sort of muddled middle space between the two and then uh, as we move on we have terry go who you mentioned uh, earlier he's the the foxconn founder billionaire and i must say as somebody visiting taipei uh he's one of the more visible uh, candidates in that you know he has posters on the sides of taxis and buses and he has his office his electoral office in uh, central taipei but as you mentioned he he failed to secure uh, a kmt nomination um and and then, of course, resorted to running on an independent ticket. How, how is the campaign going for him? Not good. <laughs> um, he's now polling in most polls in the single digits. Um, in our poll of polls, he is at about 7.3, 7.4 right now. Um, I think that he's, unless he can do something to really turn around his campaign, I think that at the end of the day, on election day, he's going to probably come in at under 5%. Um, I'm comparing him to James Song in the last election uh, and using that as a comparison line. So, yeah, he's not doing very well. And uh, any particular policies that, have, that he's talked about or raised out that uh, are getting any attention? He's... Uh, is probably some of the most interesting policy stances. I mean, the big issue in Taiwan politics when it comes to national elections is relations with China. Okay, that's the big one. He's uh, very tied to China. Um, he's a 49er who es his family escaped the Civil War. Um, and he wants a peace dialogue with China. He promises that there will be some kind of peace agreement with, with China if he's elected president. He wants to turn the island of Jinmen into a kind of a peace experimental camp. And he's going to he's promised to set up an institute there, regardless of whether he's elected president, uh, to bring international scholars to discuss peace with China. Um, on national defense, he, do, he doesn't want to purchase any more American arms because that turns Taiwan into an ammunition dump, which makes it a target for China, you see. Um, and he wants to build a robot army of 80,000 robots to defend Taiwan. Now, he hasn't specified exactly what form these robots take. Uh, obviously, I'm imagining Terminator, but maybe they're drones or whatever. He hasn't been very specific. Um, and he's pro-nuclear power, and he, and here he's on stronger ground. He talks a lot about improving the economy, which, and he talks about building. Uh, he he wants to top Singapore's GDP and establish a thirty-year, thirty years of, of thirties, thirty golden years of economic development going forward. Um, and so, yeah, those are. His, he's campaigning on three big things, um, and uh, peace with China, uh, economic issues, uh, and developing Taiwan, basically. 
Yeah, well, there, there may be reasons, I guess, why China are displeased with him. Maybe we can come to those a little later on, because I, I want to ask you also about the uh, DPP candidate, uh, which is, of course, uh, William Lai, or Lai Ching Te, uh, part of the ruling uh, Democratic Progressive Party. Uh, he, he made the headlines in August for his strong statement supporting uh, Taiwan sovereignty, as you kind of alluded to earlier. Uh, how has his campaign been going? boring. Um, <laughs> he's basically continuing, uh, he, he's basically campaigning on more of the same. Mm-hmm. Now, the current uh, DPP administration, see, he can't veer too far from the current administration without looking bad, because he's the vice president, he was previously the premier under President Tsai, so he has to campaign on the current administration's record. And what that means is that that's a that's a blessing and a curse. The current administration's foreign policy and policies on handling China have been actually quite popular. Domestically, their policies have not been popular, and there have been a series of scandals and problems um, and some dubious-looking things. Um, so it, it's a very mixed bag, and so he's running a very conservative campaign. Um, he's taking no risks. He's very disciplined, and but it, it's not a very exciting campaign. It's more of the same, yay, you know. And so, uh, so four candidates, leading candidates, then at least uh, we have Lai, Ko, Ho, and Go. And you've been doing some serious analysis as regards the opinion polls, uh, like you've been talking about. And uh, can you tell us a little bit about that project and maybe the very latest results that, that you've, you've published um, uh, and how they're showing uh, the various candidates? And there's also an undecided uh, grouping in your, in your analysis. Yeah, un- people tend to ignore the undecideds, and, and they're actually really crucial. Um, that's one of the big numbers I really pay a lot of attention to because they often decide the outcome of elections. Now, at this point, um, uh, Lai Qingde or William Lai, he is fairly, uh, fairly out ahead. He's at 32, 33. He's been pretty stable since we've been doing the poll of polls. Uh, he's been within a band of about 3.5 percentage points. He's been you know, varying within that. Pretty stable. Um, now, Koenze, um, again, he's been within about a 3.3, 3.5% band since September 1st. And uh, for most of the time, he's been in second place with lie ahead at a, currently is at 32 point something. Um, but right uh, starting um, about 10 days ago, Ho suddenly jumped into second place in the poll of polls. Again, this has a lot to do, I think, with the polls that were released during this time period. Um, and But he showed a significant jump. He's currently at a 23.9, I believe, uh, and Ku's at 22 point something. So they're still pretty close in, in the poll of polls. Now, what's interesting is the undecideds, don't knows, uh, category has been dropping from about 16 a few weeks ago down to 12 point something now and that's a a statistically significant drop so as we're getting closer to the election i expect that more and more people are going to start making up their mind and it seems like terry goes uh uh, popularity rating is also dropping in in this poll yeah it's been consistently dropping off since early september 
Uh, it's kind of a drip, 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 drip. Uh, he was up at about 15% in early September. He's now at 7.5-ish around that point. Um, but w what's going to happen is the, the dump save effect is going to come in when it comes to election day. That's strategic voting. It's a, sort of the local term for strategic voting. In other words, uh, his supporters, I suspect, when it comes to election day, are going to realize... Uh, unless, of course, he comes up with something that dramatically turns around his campaign, or he makes a deal with uh, Coenza and drops out of the race, which is a serious possibility at this point. Um, if he stays into the race at the end, I think that a, a certain percentage of his supporters are either going to vote for a candidate they think has a better chance of winning and defeating the DPP, or they're going to stay home. Uh, so I think he's going to come in at under 5%. Again, unless he does something dramatic to turn around his campaign. And uh, the DPP have been at the ruling uh, party for two terms now. And I guess this is one of the things uh, I see a lot of uh, discussion about, especially among the, the pan-blue camp, is, you know, how can they be ousted? And as a part of the, I guess, most of the drama... Uh, from my perspective of looking at it, has been the discussion around potential alliances between TPP and KMT. And Terry Go is somewhere in there, but maybe, I don't know, maybe you can tell us about that. What has been going on as regards this talk of an alliance to uh, oust the current uh, incumbent DPP? There's two possible alliances that could take place. Let's, let's start with the, the potentially easier one. Is, would be between Coenza and Terry Goh. Now, Terry Goh is sinking in the polls. He could try and find a... He's been aggressively courting uh, Coenza and the TPP. He says that their thinking is extremely highly correlated, I think, believe is the terminology he used. Um, and he's been talking up uh, some kind of coordination between the two. Now... If this were to happen, my theory as to how this would go is, pardon the pun, um, is that he would step aside, he would insist that his current vice presidential candidate be on the ticket with uh, Coenza, and that he would have some kind of special advisory role with and influence on the legislature at large or party list uh candidates uh, for the legislature in, you know, for the party, which is a certain percentage of the seats in the legislature are by party vote, mm -hmm. not by district. Um, and so he would have, he would get to choose a bunch of those legislators, he'd get the vice presidential candidate of his choosing, and then he would have influence on policy and cabinet positions, possibly be offered the premiership or something along these lines or an economic remit or some of these ones. So that would be a potential tie-up between those two. Now, that would help, that would help uh, Ke and give him a few more percentage points. That would help him secure a bit of a lead over Ho. Um, so that would, be, that would be advantageous to him. Now, the big win would be, of course, for them, is if the TPP and the KMT could form a joint ticket. Um, the negotiations on this, however, they've agreed to cooperate in some district legislative races so far. That's kind of a done deal. They're doing that already um, because the supporters of both the parties want to, as they put it, take down the DPP. 
Um, but a joint ticket has been proved elusive because both sides have proposed uh, to choose who's going to be at the top of the ticket. Uh, both sides have proposed ways that favor each side, of course. However, this is in okay in terms of deciding who would represent. Uh, yeah, who would be the top of the who the presidential candidate would be, and then the other party would get the vice presidential candidate. So top of the ticket, I guess that's an American term. Um, so the so who would be the presidential candidate nominee for to represent the unity ticket? Um, now Kuwenza has been more generous. He's offered a. He said, look, let's just do an opinion poll polling, commission some opinion polls, and see who is, you know, who the public wants as the presidential candidate. Fairly straightforward. He said, even if he wins it and he's within the margin of error, he'll still step aside and let Ho take the, and he'll be the vice presidential nominee and let Ho take it. So he, now... The, this is kind of self-serving because the majority of polls show him ahead, but not all. So he is willing to take some risks to make this happen. Now, the KMT has come forward. They wanted to do a physical primary, which, of course, favors the much larger KMT with their much larger resources. Their ground game, their get-out-the-vote ground game is massive compared to the TPP. So that would have, they would have won it easily. Then they came out with the Japanese model or the German model where their legislative candidates would have a major input. Of course, the KMT is 69 of them versus the TPP's 11. So Cook just said, yeah, I kind of... He came out and basically just said, yeah, we know what the result of that would be. Um, and, he, and he retorted, why don't we use the Taiwanese model where traditionally we've used election polling, which is what I'm offering. So it looked like everything was at an impasse. Then... On last Friday, November 10th, former president, uh, KMT president Ma Ying-jeou, who's a powerful and influential party elder, and of course the KMT, uh, you know, respects the elders in the party. Um, so he's an extremely powerful figure, came out and, dec and declared via an intermediary that he supported Koenza's plan for uh, opinion polling. A large number of KMT legislative candidates and local government heads came out in support. The sorry, the presidential candidate from 2020, also he's also now a party elder, came out in support. But was in, on all although these aren't don't form a majority of the KMT. What's really interesting is the deafening silence from everyone else in the party. Almost nobody has come out against this a lot of them are being diplomatic um so now all of a sudden the kmt chair uh, eric Chu, and the hoyui camp are desperately trying to fend off basically an attack from within the party and from a, a, a massively influential party elder who wants to accept kuwenja's plan and does this mean if if they were successful um, and form that alliance. Would the parties also form a coalition in the legislature or in government uh, after that? Yes. Um, Koenja has flat out said, look, 
you know, our party it, it doesn't have enough people, it doesn't have enough talent, because they're only a four-year-old party. And he said that, yes, we work with the KMT, and so that a lot of cabinet positions, for example, would go to the KMT uh, because they have a deep bench, uh, which the TPP doesn't have at this point. So he, he's proposing to form a unity government, which may even include people from the DPP as well. Um, that's his proposal. Um, I have to say, though, that uh, reading some of the analysis, uh, Bonnie Glasser, who is uh, MD of the German Marshall Fund's Indo-Pacific program, said that she thinks Beijing also favours Kowenja, uh, that he will win, uh, because of the many collaborations he's advocated uh, during his tenure uh, as the mayor of Taipei. I guess he, he participated in the uh, Shanghai-Taipei uh, con conferences. But there's also some controversy with the TPP as regards China. I read that uh, China-born Xu Chongying, she's a, a member of the TPP. She's been accused of uh, being also a member of the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, she's, obviously, she's denied it, I believe, so far. Uh, but what's going on with the whole... Um, the position with China there and and Coenja. Okay, Bonnie Glazer is wrong, and she often is. Um, Coenja is not the preferred candidate from China. I think in an ideal world they would prefer Terry Go, but they recently tried. They started investigating Foxconn because I think they want him to drop out of the race because he's basically just sucking up votes, which which. Uh, from the pan blue camp so uh, ideally i think they'd prefer him but they know he's hopeless so they're trying to put pressure on him to get out of the race um now hoyui i think would be their preferred candidate over koenza koenza would be their preferred candidate if ho can't win it koenza would be far more preferable to lai Qingde or william lai so that's kind of the hierarchy of their preferences um so I, I think they're hoping for Hoyoe to win. Now, as far as Xu is concerned, yeah. now she, um, she, she, she says she has never been a, a member of the Communist Party, and I have no reason to doubt her on this. Uh, however, she did work for the government or government state-owned agency or something along these lines. So she was affiliated with it. She's attended United Front events. Uh, there's film of her out there wearing a, 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 a cultural revolution era red scarf and singing songs in praise of Mao Zedong. Um, now, Koenza says that he wants to include her uh, to because there are about there are hundreds of thousands of spouses here in Taiwan who were born in China and that they need some representation. Um, and so he wants to include her, he possibly wants to include her on the party list legislative vote, which is, again, where you vote for the party. Now, that actually hasn't happened because they haven't released the party list. Whether he is going to include her, we don't know. But he has been defending her, which suggests that he might. Um... And if he does put her on the list, will he put her in the safe zone, which means that she's almost certain to get elected, or in the not safe, where he probably won't get elected? Uh, these are all still open questions. 
Uh, and on the, the just continuing with with the China angle, um, we were also reading in the news that uh, that Foxconn and its subsidiaries in in China PRC are being audited by the Chinese government. Some think it's a sign of dissatisfaction of the CCP with Terry Go, and that his candidacy is dividing the vote. Um, but others are saying this is a type of interference into Taiwan's election. What's the consensus in in Taiwan on that? Yeah, it, I mean, it's, it's it's election interference. I mean, there's two theories out there as to why they're doing this. Um, the other one is that they are actually trying to give him credibility, which may be partially true. In other words, that by because the Taiwanese public views him as being too close to China, after all, his business had massive investments. And while he's in China... Um, and was the largest private employer in China, and he personally knows Xi Jinping. And um, now he's no longer the CEO or even on the board of Foxconn, but he's still a major shareholder. So there's a public perception of him being close to China, and he is close to China, to be honest. Um, and so there is this theory out there that by doing this, it makes him look less close to China, and that they that will boost him in the eyes of the Taiwanese public. Now, I don't think that's their primary goal. Their primary goal, I believe, is to try and push him to get out of the race uh, because he is splitting the vote. Um, on the Foxconn, it, I think that the tax audit is not the major of the two issues. It's actually that they're going after land usage. And that could be far more damaging to Foxconn, I think, than the tax audit, by the way. Are there other um, aspects of CCP interference in Taiwan's election that, that are visible or that have been raised uh, as concerns by people in Taiwan? <laughs> Where do I start? <laughs> well, okay, I mean, obviously the, you know, the constant uh, gray zone warfare, um, you know, they're flying warplanes and ships and aircraft carriers into Taiwan's uh, air defense identification zone or ADIZ. Not into Taiwan's airspace. Um, that would be an act of war. Um, but they're coming awfully close. Uh, there was an informal, what was called the Davis Line or the Median Line in the Taiwan Strait, which from the from the 1950s until the Nancy Pelosi visit had only been breached. Informally, each side kept to the Median Line of the of the Taiwan Strait, and they didn't it was only breached about two or three times until the nancy pelosi visit um, and now they breach it almost every day um so it, it, they're basically these are aggressive acts of war they're belligerent um and there was also talk about uh, the fujian uh, development plan uh, as as a means to show or i guess raise start discussion on how uh, cooperation with taiwan might happen uh, is, has that been influential or, uh, in these discussions? No. <laughs> um, the thing is that China keeps rolling out these kinds of so-called incentives. This latest one is interesting because they, they make it really easy for Taiwanese to, for example, get all the rights and privileges of being a citizen in Fujian, in Fujian province. Because, you know, all the rights and wonderful privileges of being a citizen of the uh, People's Republic of China are so winning and something everybody's dying to have. 
Now, so, I mean, basically, they make it easy for Taiwanese to invest in Fujian province, you know, to buy land, start a company, and they will be treated as far as local, you know, things like insurance and all of these things as if they were local. But, you know, all those wonderful rights and freedoms in the People's Republic, you know, who, who could turn that down? <laughs> So finally, uh, maybe just to, to uh, on on the kind of uh, next uh, administration in Taiwan. Apart from the presidential election, there will also be the legislature elections. And can you explain to us a little bit how, how the legislature is organized in in Taiwan's government, and how is that shaping up in terms of sway of power uh, for the forthcoming years? Okay, so for up until 2016. Um, the KMT or KMT, in, they either have held an outright majority in the legislature or they held a plurality and with allies they effectively controlled the legislature up until 2016. Um, and for the first time the DPP won an outright majority in 2016 which they've held ever since. Um, now the, the legislature is made up of, there's six indigenous seats uh, 73 district seats and 34 um, party list seats. Um, maybe check those numbers, but anyway. Um, and it's looking like this time, it, it's looking like what's going to happen is is that no party will have an outright majority. That's the safe bet at this point. I mean, you never really know until election day, but and that, but right now, I think the safe bet would be that um, no party has an outright majority. The TPP will hold the balance of power. They will not. They will probably be the third largest party uh, in the legislature, and they're going to get most of their seats from the party list. They may get maybe eight to ten is sort of what it's looking like at this point. Um, you know, if they're doing really well maybe 11 if they don't do as well as expected maybe seven uh you know out of 113 seats total um but that might be enough to be the balance of power that's courtney donovan smith and my sincere thanks to him for joining us and sharing his valuable insights on prospectus with nilo and we've linked his details on our blog site at pwnilo.com if you'd like to dive deeper After our interview on November 13th, the KMT and TPP continued their negotiations, but ultimately were not successful in agreeing a formal alliance on the presidential ticket before the election registration deadline of November 24th. Terry Guo has also dropped out of the race, which now means that three main presidential candidates and their vice presidential running mates remain. They are, for the DPP, William Lai, or Lai Ching-te, and his running mate, Xiao Bi Kim, Taiwan's former representative to the United States. For the KMT, Ho Yo Yi, and his running mate, Zhao Xiao Kong, chairman of Taiwan's Broadcasting Corporation of China and veteran political talk show host. And for the TPP, Ko Wenzhi, and his running mate, Wu Xinying, who has held executive positions at Merrill Lynch and Xing Kong Life Insurance before she filled a vacant seat occupied by the TPP in Taiwan's legislature. We hope to have interviews with the spokespersons for these candidates in our upcoming episodes. But that's where we leave it for now. Until the next time, thank you for listening. Zai Tian. <laughs>